We are glad we'll be reading chapter 21 of the book of Reshu to the book of Genesis. However, they are not a chapter that is um, well known to a degree, if you are paying attention, many don't, of course, in the high holiday services. On the first day of Rosh Hashanah, the first day of the New Year service, we read this chapter from the book of Genesis as you are our listening reading. To a taste of Romans. For more information about Romumu, and God, please visit Romumu.org. The source. For more information about the other, Jake The one in the Torah who is blog, responsible for visit creation and for guiding history. Pakad et Sarah. Kasher Amar. Vayas Adonai Lesarak Asher Diber. God took note of Sarah as he had promised, and God did for Sarah as God had spoken. In this morning's open up, for those of you who are new to Roman Mu, we are going to do three calling up to the Torah. They're called Aliyot, Aliyah. It's a calling up, it's to be elevated. Traditionally, there are seven. We do three. We want you to focus on a smaller portion of what is usually read in the Torah so that you might walk out with that portion as part of your wisdom for the week. The first aliyah, the first calling up, is a general call to anyone who might feel called based on the learning that we're about to engage in for the next 10 or so minutes. And so if you feel called by anything that we learn together, you are welcome to come forward and stand here with the Torah this morning for the first uh, Aliyah, and this is open up. So we're going to open up this first four verses of the Torah. God remembered Sarah and did with Sarah as God had promised or as God had said God would. Who here knows what that is referring to? What is that referring to? Conception. Who said that? Richard. So Richard said conception. Where was that promise given? What's, what's the backdrop for that promise? So, of course, the Torah in the book of Genesis is all about the future. It's all about family and the possibility of family and all about the drama and trauma of the inability of the matriarchs to give birth to children. Birth in the Torah comes easily for some and not easily for the th- the four mothers, the three mothers, the mothers of the Torah. Very, very problematic. And so Sarah, from the moment that Sarah is introduced to us in the end of chapter 11, that Sarah is known as the one who has no child. She is barren. And so in chapter 18, which we won't read, but in chapter 18, three angels come to Sarah and to Abraham, known as Right and says to them what? We promise you that you will have a child. In one year's time you will have an Isaac. And so chapter 21 is the fulfillment of that promise, of that herald. The only problem, of course, with this is what? With this verse. Not with the fact that she has a child. What's the problem that you might imagine for those who read the Torah, who believe that every sentence in the Torah is meaningful, What might be the problem for them in this first verse? And God remembered Sarah and did for Sarah as God had promised. What might be the problem with that? So Klila Nuning says, right? The the glaring question, which in our congregation is called 
a midrashic moment. Right? Midrashic moment means not just what the Torah says, but what it could have said, or why it said it, or different, like the, what's called the white space. Does that make sense? The place where interpretation happens. Sometimes say, this midrashic moment, right? So Klila raises a midrashic moment. Why would the Torah go out of its way to spill ink to let us know that God kept the promise? Why tell us, and God remembers here, does God forget? What's the significance for the, t- for the interpreters, the commentators later on, when they read this story, they say, wait a second, that seems to be a strange thing to say. This week in our community, I presided over a funeral for an amazing 90-year-old man named uh, David Hendel. And one of those who was eulogizing David, who lived through the 20th century, saw so many things. One of the clarion features of his life was that he made his kids promise never to promise. He said, why would a promise be any different than your word? Why do you have to say, I promise? Isn't your word good enough? Why distinguish between the things you say that you mean and the things that you really mean? A whole lot's in a promise. Why does the Torah have to go out of its way to let us know that God kept God's promises? So there is, in our text study in a moment, if you can open up the open up, little sheets that we gave out that have the red letters open up on them. And if you'll scroll open up to source number three, that's in the Hebrew. I'm going to read the Hebrew, but if you want to follow along, you can find the English translation. If you keep turning, turning and turning and turning to to page 39 on the bottom 39 this teaching is from a great Hasidic rabbi great rabbi of the 18th century named Levi Yitzchak Berdichever as he was known by the town that he was that he lived in and this translation masterfully done is from Rabbi Jonathan Slater. Page 39. This is a commentary in the 18th century on a text that is a couple thousand years old, asking the very same question. Why does God and God's fulfillment of God's promise matter to us? Why does it matter? And he says, you know what, I'm just going to read the English. So we're all on the same page. God took note, YHVH, which is a name for God, took note of Sarah as he had spoken, and YHVH did for Sarah as God had said. What is Scripture's point in telling us that God took note of Sarah as God had spoken? Of course, the Blessed Holy One fulfills His Word. Would God speak and not act, promise and not fulfill? Didn't the sages teach us that no word that God speaks for the good, even if conditional, goes unfulfilled? We can hear in this commentator, the Redichiver, the question that Klila raised up, right? 
If God makes a promise, isn't it obvious that it will come to be? Why remind us that God kept God's promise? And so here the Bredichever is going to go into his explanation that might give us an open up for this morning. The root of the matter is that there is a difference between take note, pakad, and remember, zachar. The Zohar distinguishes between them saying that pakad has a feminine quality and zachar has a masculine quality. Pakad refers to that which is received from a previously existing source. And so the Berdichever begins to try to figure out the mystery of this verse by noting that in Hebrew it doesn't just say that God kept God's promise. It says that God pakaded Sarah and God zachar at Sarah. That there are two verbs and each of them are a different quality around a promise. He uses feminine, masculine. Let's avoid essentialist, whether it's feminine or masculine, whatever that means. But there are two distinct parts of a promise. And both of them are indicated in the verse for an important reason for all of us too. He goes on to say, The root of this matter is this. Regarding all of the promises that the Blessed Holy One made to Israel, we trust that God certainly will fulfill them for us to provide us with all goodness and blessing. Still, when the Blessed Holy One promises to do some or another good, it is still tied up in God, latent in God's power, and there is no distinction between past, present, and future. But for the recipients, when they need to experience it, they must bring it from the potential to the actual to reveal it. And then he says, may it be soon. For when it is still in God's mind, it is hidden in concealment, waiting in the world that is yet to come in the future. It will be revealed, yet it is still hidden. This means to bring, look to the page, which should be after it, but it's right there above you. Don't turn the page, it's right here. This matter from the future into the present is faith. Right? So I, read it. I didn't turn the page, I just went, it's actually above here. That's where it continues. When a tzaddik or a righteous person has faith that God will certainly fulfill his promise, looking forward in every moment, burning with anticipation at its realization, this very yearning and enthusiasm and anticipation that comes from faith connects with this supernal idea of a promise that was intended and helps bring it into the world through that faith. If you skip one paragraph here. Now Abraham and Sarah experienced both God's speech and word. Speech is covert, but word, Debor, is revealed. And therefore, when Rashi, we're going to get to all this, I know you're lost, I promise I'm getting there. Rashi was precise when he interpreted, as he had spoken, relates to Sarah's conception. Sarah experienced two things. One was conception, God's thought, which is hidden, and one is dibur, establishing and making a vessel to manifest from speech to manifestation, from thought to action. Let's unpack the Bredichever and then apply it to our lives. We ask the question, Clearly, asked the question for all of us, why does the verse have to say that God kept God's word? And it says, God pakad, God remembered or took account, and God remembered Zachar and he says these are two distinct moments in God and then he goes on to say that in promising in the world of promises that are promises that are latent 
that are there in potential and then promises that actually manifest. And the verse didn't have to tell us that God actualized God's promise, but needed to tell us that there are promises. There are promises that are being held, as it were, and held and waiting until the right moment for the right person or the right group of people or the right mind to draw it into the world and say, here it is. That in this case, it wasn't that God kept God's word, but as it were, that God said, of course a child was always waiting for you. That was my promise. But it was only there in potency, in potential. But in actuality, it needed your something to make it real. What does that mean for us? What might that mean for you, for me? If God didn't, as it were, have any doubt that the promise was going to come true, what might it mean for me, for you, that there are promises that are waiting for us, waiting for something before we make that promise real? Alina. That in faith and trust that the promise will become manifest, that faith itself helps the promise become real. That in a moment where we didn't see it, it was hidden, like the baby hidden inside of Sarah, that's conception, that's herayon, that's just birth, that's pregnancy rather. But the faith that the child will be born or that the promise will become fulfilled is itself the avenue for its belief. Let's, it doesn't have to be about God, everybody. Let's take God out of the picture. God doesn't mind, I'm sure. What does it mean for me, for you, today, tomorrow, in this country, in your family? Are there promises or are there things that you know have been seeded that faith and faith or some essential core perspective or relationship with that promise can help it become real and true? I want to look at this side because I know this side is... Anybody over here have a, a thought? Anybody have an experience where you didn't know if a promise was going to come true but you believed deeply that it, one day you would see it happen and that that faith helped you get there? So something can be revealed only when somebody's aware, conscious, and hoping. And open. Hoping. I like that. Hoping. Hoping. Optimistic is a hoping. Hoping. I had this thing. It was waiting for you, but I needed you to want it enough. Anybody ever have that? Any parents in the room? Any parents here? Any parents here? It was an amazing moment. We have, my wife works in the development world, in the world of raising money. And often a philanthropist or a donor will say, you know what, I see the vision, I could fund that for you. But I want you to want it as much as I want it. I want you to step up. I want you to pray. I want you to struggle. I want you to awaken from below. And in Kabbalah, this is a very deep idea in Jewish mystical tradition that it's not just grace. It's not just here's a free gift, but we got to earn it. The promise is you're going to get it. We're not going to let you drown, I promise. But it's in that not yet revealing it, in this promise, awaiting a partner to manifest that promise's potential. Does that make more sense? So now with that, maybe somebody else can step up. We have a night. Yes, in the back. Stand up, please, and be heard. <clears throat> commitment. So commitment stepping in. So the verse then is telling us, God had already given Sarah the promise, but the commitment was still 
here's a commitment to make it real, right? And there are two pieces. There's the promise, and then there's what we do to help make a vessel to help make that thing real, and that's commitment or faith. Beautiful. Yes. If what you believe that you have is enough already, then you're not tied to the fruits of the manifestation. So you're living in a love, and that's, that's nurturing you and sufficient, but you're still yearning for the, this other so you're teaching another very important piece, which is sometimes um, when we don't allow ourselves to trust that the promise is available and we put too much attachment on the fruit or on the goal, it actually it closes the vessel that is hoping and hoping for that. And then we aren't able to actually to be in living the promise until it becomes. We block it, ironically. Right? We actually want it. We forget that it's enough Paradoxically, it's enough, but we want more. Enough, more. <clears throat> Promises. Anybody else want to share? What is this commitment, promise, what we have to do? Yes, Evelyn. You're fat. Not much. Beautiful. So that Evelyn said, if we want to be theological again, and not take it from the humanistic, psychological, into the theological, you were an atheist. You left open the possibility that there was something greater. And so there was that promise that was always waiting for you. And then when you saw it, it became real for you. And that became a reality in your life. If you look to source number four, and then we're coming in for a landing for the open up. This is from an author, a teacher that I spent a lot of time reading. Seth Godin is a marketing guru. So for those of you who are like, oh, that's theology. Let's talk about business. Here's business. Let's bring it, mamash, to the... We spend so much time, so much of our time keeping promises, fretting about promises, whittling down promises that we rarely put the effort into creating better ones. More generous, more urgent, more personal. And then he says, your brand is your promise. Your brand is a promise and your work is delivering on it. Every customer, every human that we interact with, whether it's a customer or a member, has both Amira and Zikhira, has the feminine, quote-unquote, the vessel, and then its manifestation. We make a promise. When someone meets us, there's a seed of something that is expected in the currency between the two of us. And the work that we do is to deliver on that promise, latent as it was. You can be rest assured, you're going to walk into Roman Mu or a shul like this, and our promise to you is that you are going to be, like you get a promise here, even, even if you didn't literally see it, right? There's a sense in this room of a promise. And then the work that we do is to make that manifest, to deliver on that latent, sometimes unspoken promise. So how can we make our unspoken promises even better, more generous, more available, more loving, more true. What have you promised us lately is his charge. I would like to call forward for this morning's open up. Those who are in the parsha, in the, in the place in their lives where they are looking at making better promises or examining what promises they are actually making. And also those who are coming forward to have faith and trust that a promise that has already been made 
is working its way through us for us manifesting in the way that it can through faith and through an attentiveness to the vessel that we are allowing to be present for promises to become true if that's where you are this morning there's a lot of room here at the front of the shul please come on up Ya Amod, stand up for this Aliyah.